The reading is John 16, verse 16 to 33, and can be found on page 1084 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then, after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father? And they kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I mean, meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when a baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world and now I'm leaving the world and I'm going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask your questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each one to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please do take a seat, and if you have a Bible, you might want to have that passage in John 16 open. We are back in John's Gospel after a week off uh, last week in our series 
called Life Together in Jesus. Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, preparing them for his death and resurrection and return to the Father and what life will be like for them. And I love the way this passage begins. Because the first few verses, Jesus says something, in a little while you'll see me no more, then after a little while you will see me. And then the the disciples' reaction in verse 17 and 18, I I love it, they just go, what's he talking about? Do you understand it? I don't. What's what's going on? There's just utter confusion. What is Jesus talking about? What does he mean? Uh, They are perplexed and confused. And why do I love that? Because I don't know about you, But sometimes my Christian life feels like that very much so. I find things confusing and difficult and perplexing. And I guess it's no surprise that the disciples feel like that because Jesus has been, as Pete said, repeating various things. But on the one hand, some of what Jesus has been saying is, you are loved. You will find joy. God will be coming to live within you, to make his home within you. You will have the peace and security and love of God in your life. It's going to be brilliant. But on the other hand, something that Jesus has been saying is, the world's out there, and they're going to hate you, and they're going to oppose you, and it's going to be struggle and difficulty and trouble and sorrow. And so they're like, hang on, which is it, Jesus? Good life or bad life? Uh, sorrow or joy? Uh, what is this life following you all about? Is it a, a joyful life or is it a, a suffering life? Uh, and so it's not necessarily a surprise that they're confused. And 2,000 years later, if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus here this morning, I, I guess you know something of that confusion, those, those two different things going on and wrestling in your own life, the, the suffering, the trials, the sorrow on the one hand, and yet there is joy in following Jesus on the other. It's not just us and it's not just them. Christians for 2,000 years have been wrestling with this. In in the 17th century, what they did to help Christians navigate their Christian life was they wrote catechisms. Here are two of them. Uh, And catechisms are these series of questions and answers going over the basics of the Christian uh, life. I've got two here, the Westminster Catechism and the Heidelberg Catechism. Now, The Westminster Catechism starts like this. Question one basically asks, what's the meaning of life? And it says, the meaning of life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. See, the Christian life is all about joy. The Heidelberg Catechism begins, what is your only comfort in life and death? Which has a slightly different feel to it, doesn't it? A slightly different emphasis there, which just goes to show that Christians have often wrestled with this this experience, this confusing experience. Is it hard? Is it joyful? Which is it? And quite an encouragement to know right at the start, the 12, the 11 now disciples in the upper room with Jesus were having that same wrestle. Well, what does Jesus do for the rest of this passage? He emphasizes and restates some big and important Bible truths to help them with that struggle. It's not going to take that struggle away, but helps us think about that struggle in a clear and biblical way. And and there are three things I'm going to draw out. Uh, And here's the first thing Jesus wants them to know. Weeping will be followed by joy. So Jesus addresses them. He saw that they're confused. Are you asking one another what I meant when I said? 
in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Uh, and then verse 20, very truly, I tell you. Now, when, when Jesus says that, it's literally, amen, amen. In other words, listen, this is important. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. Jesus tells them that weeping, mourning, that sorrow is going to be part of their experience. And I take it part of every Christian's experience uh, for the 2,000 years that have followed. For them, they will do that pretty immediately because in just a few hours, Jesus will be arrested and then killed. And when Jesus dies, the world is going to rejoice in triumph that Jesus is dead, those who oppose Jesus. But Jesus' followers will weep. Now, I, I think um, one of the places where this comes across most powerfully to me is in the Chronicles of Narnia, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And particularly in the film, I thought the film got it really well. Uh, sorry, the pictures are a bit dark. Maybe you can't quite make them out. But in the film, as Aslan goes to his death, you've got the white witch there uh, standing over him, rejoicing, and all her followers having this great party around Aslan. And then the scene cuts to the, the two girls, Lucy and Susan, in tears. I think that captures something of what the disciples' experience is going to be in just a short while. And actually, for every Christian, I guess, there are just times in our life, phases, where you just look at it and you think, just feels like we've lost. Just, just feels like it's all going wrong. And they certainly would have known what that was all about. But Jesus here is saying, look, that will happen, but, he doesn't end there, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And Jesus is bringing out a, a, a principle that runs through the whole Bible. Following God is, is tricky, it is challenging, it does involve tears and weeping and lament at times, but, and here's the crucial thing, the weeping, the tears, and the lament are not forever. I think the principle is spelled out so beautifully and clearly in Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping will last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And the point there is, yeah, weeping is real and it lasts for a while, but it will come to an end and joy comes in the morning. And, and when joy comes, it comes and stays in the morning. Jesus, Jesus is saying here that, yeah, there is weeping. But that's only for a while. But there's joy. And joy will be forever. He uses that illustration in verse 21 of a, a woman giving birth. Uh, and even in the modern world with pain medication and medical care and all the rest of it, that is a difficult experience. Painful. In the ancient world, if you can imagine it, not just was there the, the immediate pain of childbirth, but there's also a lot of anxiety and fear in the air. Uh, childbirth was the number one killer of women in that day. So there was the threat of, of death hanging over the situation. And that's therefore a very appropriate image for the disciples, isn't it? Because what are they about to walk into? Yes, fear and panic and anxiety... But also they're going to be worried, not only that Jesus is going to die, but the, the people are going to come after them as well. Uh, I guess that's why Jesus uses that image in verse 21 for them. But, but the Bible uses a whole range of other images 
to get this idea across of, of something that's difficult and hard for a short time, but is followed by something joyous that lasts. A, a darkness that turns into light. If you think about it, that's exactly how the Bible starts, isn't it? In darkness, for a moment, but then let there be light. Or think about Psalm 23, perhaps the most beloved psalm of all. It doesn't shy away from the fact that there is a valley of the shadow of death that everybody has to walk through. But where do they get to when they walk through it? To a feast, a table that has been prepared. You could think of the Exodus story. So many other stories in the Bible. Weeping for a while, but joy forever. Verse 22, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. You will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. See, Jesus doesn't diminish the fact that grief is real or say, don't worry about it. No, you'll, you'll cry, and that is okay. But isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus promises that doesn't last forever? What does last forever is the joy. But what is this joy? Because Jesus goes on in the next few verses to, to spell it out. He, he says, in that day, a couple of times. Uh, and, and what is it that he's trying to emphasize to the disciples? How, what is this joy? Well, very truly I tell you, notice that again, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. We thought about that a couple of weeks ago. That isn't Jesus saying you can ask for a car or a house or whatever. Uh, and if you want to know more about that, come and talk to me afterwards. We, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, if you weren't. Uh, there then. Um, but, but what he's saying here is, what I've come to do is give you a new access to the Father, that you can walk up to him and go, can I Lord, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? We sung about it a little earlier, didn't we? And then later on, he says, uh, I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf, verse 26. No, the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and believed. What is Jesus doing here? He's painting a picture of a new kind of relationship, a new kind of access that his death and resurrection and sending of the Holy Spirit to live in our hearts by faith will open up. And just think about it. Who is it that can walk up to someone and ask for whatever's on their mind? Who is it that can wander in and doesn't need a go-between, doesn't need someone to go in their place? I've got a picture here coming on the screen in a moment. Uh, this is when President Obama was president, and uh, that's him in the Oval Office with his daughters. Do you think anyone else in the world gets to do that? Imagine you're one of his staff. Do you spend time with him on the couch like that? Laughing away, just chatting about the day? No. If you want five minutes of his time, you are going to have to work really hard to get it. <laughs> You're going to have to write a big report and, and show that it's worthwhile and all the rest of it. But his daughters, they get just to jump on daddy's lap and say, hey, I had a great day at school. Or this was hard. And can you see the, the sort of joy and the, the comfort and the rest on their faces? There they are, most powerful office in the world, completely at home, completely relaxed, because that's dad. Jesus says, that's what I've come to give you. Now, I know uh, not everybody in this room uh, will have 
great experiences of fatherhood. For, for many of us, relationships with, with our fathers might be distant or difficult, painful in, in various ways. Uh, and I don't want to diminish that, and nor does Jesus, but he does want to say to you, look, my father, who will be your father, is not like that. The father himself loves you. He welcomes you. So whether you've had a hard relationship with your father, and even if you've had a really good relationship with your father, the relationship Jesus promises will far exceed anything you would have experienced. The hunger you have in your heart for for rest and peace and home and safety, Jesus says, that's why I've come, don't you see? You can now wander into the Father's presence like a child, as his child. Ask for what you want, whatever's on your mind. And just be at peace and home with him. That was Jesus' mission. Look at verse 28. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. I've done my mission. I've done my job that has opened up the access so that you could enjoy what I've enjoyed from all eternity. This. Theologians have often said that prayer is the highest privilege in the universe. I don't think we often think of it like that. Do you know why? I think we forget what Jesus has done for us. And therefore, we we are quicker to think of ourselves as God's staff than his children. And so we turn prayer into this duty. I've got a prayer list and I must pray through it and I must get through it every day. And, and prayer becomes this kind of burden that we, we build on ourselves rather than actually being able to walk into God's presence by praying and, and just enjoying. He's our Father. We can ask him for whatever's on our mind. Prayer is a privilege, not a duty. It's something we have because we're his children who found our home with him. So the weeping will be followed by joy, but, but the joy is this relationship. If the joy you're looking for is somewhere else, if, if you'd want to find your joy in this world or, or anything you can have in this world, that will not last. But Jesus is returning to this relationship. He's returning to the Father And it's this joy that he says will be complete that no one can take away from you. You're completely safe in that relationship. Weeping followed by joy. Joy having access to the Father. And then finally, the last few verses. The joy is certain, but there are no shortcuts. The joy is certain, but there are no shortcuts. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you're speaking clearly without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things, that you you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. See, Jesus has said, look, you're confused right now. And you're going to have to go through some hard stuff. But on the other side of that, you will be clear. It will make sense, and you will find this lasting joy. And then the disciples immediately say, oh, yes, we understand now. We understand. We've got it. We've got it. One of the commentators, Don Carson, uh, says this about this verse. There is no misunderstanding so pathetic 
as that which pretends it no longer exists. The disciples are pretending that they have understood what's going on so that they don't have to go through the hard bit that Jesus has promised is just coming. Oh, we're there already, Jesus. We, we've got that clarity. We can enjoy the joy right now without any of the... And Jesus says, no. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. Uh, what clues us into the fact that they don't quite get it is uh, in verse 30, they say, now we can see that you know all things. Literally, that is now we know. And it's a little running joke through John's gospel. Because whenever anybody comes up to Jesus and says, we know, the rest of the discussion is Jesus showing that they don't really know very much, actually. So all the way back in chapter 3, Nicodemus comes up to Jesus and says, we know you have come from God. And then the rest of the chapter is Jesus saying, you don't really know very much, do you, Nicodemus? Uh, or chapter 7, the crowd say, we don't... Uh, um, we know where this man comes from. We know where Jesus comes from. And Jesus says, how can you know where I come from? You don't know my father. In chapter 9, the authorities say, we know this man is a sinner, talking about Jesus. And the rest of the Gospels pointed out, this isn't a sinner. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So when they say, now we know, what we should expect as readers is, ah, they've got it wrong. They don't know. And Jesus says, look, verse 32, you can't avoid this. You can't pretend you're already at the end. A time is coming, and in fact has come. Remember, this is the night when Jesus is about to be arrested. When you will be scattered, each to your own home, you will leave me all alone. The mourning, the weeping, it is coming. You can't avoid it, it's real. But even there, look, Jesus says, yet I'm not alone. The Father's with me. Uh, just pointing them back again to the joy he's come to bring. You're going to have a relationship with the Father that can't be taken away in any trial, in any sorrow, in any circumstance, no matter how deep and dark. I've told you these things, verse 33, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus reassures them. You must expect that the tears will come. The weeping will come. There will be grief in following me. There will be suffering. But take heart that those tears don't have the final word. They don't last forever. Because what I've come is to give you a future forever filled with joy. What he's about to go through on the cross is to secure that. What we're about to remember in a few moments' time in communion is a foretaste pointing us to the joy that is ours because of what he has done. And every time we pray, it should be a reminder and a foretaste of what we have been given, that relationship, that access, that joy that no one can take away. We're still going to have that wrestle, that experience that will at times feel confusing. There will still be sorrows. There will still be joys. But Jesus says, remember what I've done for you. Enjoy the privileges I've won for you. And as you do that, clinging on, holding on, 
for the hope and joy that's already yours. Your, your eyes will look forward. You'll have a bigger perspective on the trials you have to go through today. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to continue in prayer together. Father, thank you that your plan was always that we would be your family. Your plan was that you wanted that relationship with us. That relationship we hunger for, that peace, that safety, that joy, that security of feeling at home. Thank you you sent Jesus to win that for us. Thank you that he did. Help us to rest in what he's done. Help us to enjoy just being able to pray to you as Father. Come before you with whatever's on our mind. Help us delight in that now. For Jesus' sake. Amen.